Hello, podcast listener. You're listening to a Halford and Bruff podcast, and I'm using my podcast voice. You can listen to us on Google, Apple, Spotify. It's the Halford and Bruff podcast, and thank you it's for listening. It's at 650. Listening. Jamie Dodd filling in for Mike Halford. The official automotive sponsor of Halford and Bruff is the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. This hour of the show brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. Visit campbell-pound.com today. We will be joined momentarily here by Thomas Strands of The Athletic and Sportsnet 650. Uh, this one, Steve from Vancouver says, of all the radio shows to be accused of corporate propaganda, pretty sure Halford and Bruff would be bottom of the list. You guys talk nonsense 96% of the time. Oh, exactly, right? It's like you guys talk about nothing helpful to Rogers. Yeah. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> There's nothing that helps the corporate. Like I, I remember when the corporate memo came down. Guys, you got to do Big Band Tuesday, okay? Yeah. This is our new big initiative. You got to put that in. Guys, we've got a pretty profitable Big Band division that we'd like to hype <laughs> up a little bit. <laughs> Can you do us a solid here? We're really pushing big, big band. That's right. Business. That's right. And also talk about like the best nachos in Vancouver. That'll really help us out. Yeah. All right. Is Drancer on the line? We have Drancer on the line. He is, uh, of course, covers the Canucks for The Athletic. Also, with myself, co-host Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650. Drancer, how you doing, buddy? Gentlemen, good morning. I'm doing well. So, um, training camp is just a month away, and or just over a month away. We've got the young stars in Penticton mid-September, and then the following week is training camp in Whistler. So it's kind of sneaking up on us. And I feel like we've been so distracted by the JT Miller talk and nothing really has happened except we've talked about it, that we've kind of ignored some of the other big stories that we should be kind of hyping up a little bit heading into training camp. What do you think those stories are going to be like? Take contracts out of it, take potential trades out of it. Let's say this team arrives at training camp with the group that they've got right now under contract and on the team, what is the big story for you or what are some big stories going to be for you? Yeah, I mean, I think number one for me is the evergreen, how good is this team, right? I I do think that at the end of the day, that's going to be one of the biggest stories because that's going to be the context by which we filter everything from who's playing with who on the back end, right? What does the forward what does the forward group look like? Right? Is is Kuzmenko going to be a found money player, for example? Right? Like I can't kind of get over Kuzmenko as this massive X factor. Because in a world where he's a credible middle six guy for this team off the bat, then you're looking at a group with real depth. You're looking at a group where a guy like Niels Hoaglander might be on the fourth line. You're looking at, you know, could you be looking at a fourth line that includes a Lazar and, and maybe a Dakota Joshua with Hoaglander that all of a sudden can get up and down and forecheck and win a ton of battles. I mean, that would be the type of forward depth and, and even the type of dynamic forward depth that this team really hasn't had in a long time. And when you harness that with the way and the aggression with which this club forechecked once Boudreaux came in, I mean, that to me is a pretty interesting prospect possibility and and you know i think that's so key to this team succeeding in in particular is going to be how how hard are they to break out against because i don't know 
Jason, I don't know that they're going to be able to connect play well enough from the back end, right? Like, I just get really concerned about how easy it is for this team to get stuck in the mud, considering the way everyone on the back end, with the exception of Quinn Hughes, and, you know, Travis Dermott will help. But, I mean, this team struggles to move the puck. And as a result, you know, a lot of this is going to be on forwards to create turnovers, in my view. Um, a lot of the Canucks' success, you know, it's going to rely on Demko, obviously. Uh, that's a sort of another big storyline that I think we'll be tracking really closely all year is, is the workload. Um, but the but the defense, can it hold up? Can it allow sort of the quality that we see up front to, to show through, to, to play, I think is kind of the biggest, like, on-ice thing that we'll be watching. And, and so I think everything we see at training camp, whether it's, you know, a Quinn Hughes-Oliver Ekman-Larsen pair, whether it's, you know, is Jack Rathbone getting that big audition we expect? Um, how much trust does Travis Dermott have? Like, all of this, I, I feel like we're going to filter through the lens of, you know, how good is this team? I think that's going to be sort of the dominant storyline. And then, and then of course, Boudreaux, on the last year of his deal, was clearly the perfect man, like the right man in the right spot at the right time for this team last year. Does that continue into his first full season? Uh, behind the Canucks bench, and, uh, I mean, realistically, considering his contract status, right, there's certainly the possibility that it could be his only season, uh, his only full season behind the Canucks bench with how they're structured at the moment. I think those are sort of uh, the key stories, and, and they all sort of filter through for me that first big, you know, story we'll be watching. How good is this team? I think Bruce Boudreaux is going to be fascinating to speak with at training camp because I would have a question like, what did you work on in the off season? It feels like Bruce Boudreaux had homework assignments this off season <laughs> from from management. No, it's seriously like That's like sure. there are things that management asked him to work on. So will we find out what those things were? What will we find out things that we can watch for? And what do you think some of those things might be? Well, yeah, and I think I mean Bruce answers questions pretty honestly, right? I, I think he'll. You know, we, he might not tell us the full picture of what he's been working on, but I, I think he'll give us a sense of it. And, you know, I think he's got a new staff in here, right? The, the penalty kill uh, is going to be a big sort of storyline, and that's Trent Call managing that, right? That's um, the, the mo- most recently the head coach of the Abbotsford Canucks. There's, uh, there's this new staff uh, in place. I, I think one of the things that the clubs wanted was, um, you know, to see – Boudreaux collaborate with the staff that he had a larger role in shaping um, with, with, you know, of course, with management's input. But I, I do think that's sort of part of this. That This is no longer a staff that he inherited, that he parachuted into with, you know, one lieutenant and Scott Walker. This is now, you know, a, a, a team that they, I think, want him to uh, collaborate with and manage a little differently. I think that's part of it. We know the breakouts are part of it. And I mean, you could just watch the playoffs and you could see the amount of like short, quick area passes that teams count on their defenders to make now in exiting the zone, you know, it's, it's a high level and something the Canucks just didn't do or didn't even try to do last year. And I don't know that that was a, a bad call, right? Like once, once the coaching change happened, um, the Canucks were going high flippy all the time, right? The, the punt and hunt sort of play style is something I talked about a lot. Just, just push the battle into the neutral zone. And, you know, I, I clearly think that caps, the club ceiling in terms of how they can attack teams structurally. Uh, I know, I think we know that that's going to be one of the things that management wants to see look a little different next year. 
do you think Bruce Boudreaux is up to the task? Is that is that his specialty? Because I, I know his brand really is he's a motivator, like kind of like torts, but like a different. There are some coaches that are motivators, and I'm not saying they motivate it in the same way. In fact, Torts and Boudreaux motivate in the opposite way. But their strengths are, you know, Torts can go into a team and give them a wake-up call psychologically. Uh, Bruce Boudreaux can go into a team and give them um, some encouragement psychologically, which which we we saw last year. Torts has said many times, like, oh, the X's and O's is overrated. But there's still an element of X's and O's to Torts's game. Is is this something that is going to be like new for Boudreaux? Like a, a pretty big challenge for him to to coach the way that this management group apparently wants him to coach. I mean, it, this is an interesting one because I think it the the, the technical coach has become more on vogue, right? You see a lot of younger coaches. You see a lot of teams just promote their American League head coaches. Like, there's a level of alignment between hockey operations and, and coaching staffs now, like these days. It's become an increasingly pronounced trend that, you know, appeals to NHL general managers, NHL president of hockey operations, key decision makers. And, you know... I do think that there's elements of, you know, the like Boudreaux's strong vibes are the superpower, right? And I do think that there's an element of, you know, focus on things like the set plays off of, off of draws, right? Um, that sort of preparation side that, you know, have, have long been sort of described within the, within the industry anyway, is like the, the areas that Boudreaux's, um, you know, not necessarily as um, like those are not ne- those are not weaknesses so much as they're not exactly his calling card. And the thing about this is whether or not Boudreaux changes, like the man just makes the playoffs every time out. You know, almost every year he's ever coached, his teams are in the postseason. Like he he is personally magnetized to making to making the dance. And so it's going to be fascinating because regardless of whether or not the process is, is like aligned perfectly, um, the results might be, and the results are going to be key here, particularly because Boudreaux's curating this market. I'm not sure if you guys have noticed, but it's through the roof, like higher than any coach I've, I can remember, you know, how, like how much I've been thinking about this a little bit this summer, how much of the good vibes, around the team right now that extend to this new management group, to the breath of fresh air that I think Canucks fans have quite enjoyed over the course of this offseason, even as, um, you know, perhaps there weren't as many bold moves as people were hoping for this summer. Like, how much of that is actually directly attributable to Boudreaux, who, you know, is in the final year of his deal, right? Like, it's a, it's a really interesting dynamic to me, uh, and it'll be a fascinating one to watch play out. In conversation with Thomas Drance here, uh, Sportsnet 650, Halford and Bruff. And, you know, Drancer, there's the question about, okay, is there are they going to change the way the defense plays? I'm also curious, it's basically the same group as the one that ended last year, right, with the addition of Jack Rathbone in the mix. But I'm curious to see if the way that it's configured on the blue line turns out to be different because there are, there are a lot of guys who can play, and with the addition of Jack Rathbone, I wonder if we do see – 
maybe one or two surprising guys get a try on the right side at some point. Do you expect to see a fair bit of tinkering on the blue line, especially early in the season? I'm really curious to see how they line it up at, at camp for sure. And, and sort of exactly where, you know, the priorities are, um, you know, that Myers, Oliver Ekman, Larson pair was so key to what the Canucks did well over the latter half of the season. And yet, you know, I do think it caps their ceiling to some extent as a team in, in part because, you know, do, do you really want, and are you really best suited to having a team where Oliver Ekman Larson plays a shutdown role, considering his compensation, right? Considering his offensive skills. Uh, you know, we saw, for example, every time Quinn Hughes left the lineup and Oliver Ekman Larson had to bump up to power play one, you know, not only did he produce, but I mean, he's capable of doing that type of work for an NHL team and like at a, at a pretty high level. Um, you know, does he need to be put in a more offensive role for this franchise defining risk that the club took on and, uh, making that trade last summer to, to pay off. I mean, there's a there's a very real possibility. And is that, you know, something we're going to see if he's playing 20 minutes a night, you know, probably being overused considering his age um, and in a defensive role, like an unheralded, very few uh, offensive zone starts always see the top comp uh, kind of role like he was last season. I, I mean, I do think there's an organizational thinking that if you can put him in a more offensive spot, um, that maybe the team could be, or that maybe you could get more out of him. Now, I, I don't know how you put him on power play one, considering its effectiveness and considering the fact that you don't want two defenders on power play one, but, you know, certainly putting him up with Quinn Hughes on that right side would be one way to, to potentially, you know, get him in a, in a spot where he's, able to do more with offensive players, right? To, to always have a one-timer from one of the best passing uh, defensemen in the NHL. Um, that, you know, I do think that'll be something we see at some point. I, I would think that it's something we could see at training camp and, and you can understand why it would have an appeal. Um, you know, at, at the end of the day, you, you mentioned the changes on the back end. One sort of sneaky subtraction here is is brad hunt right who's gone to colorado and when you think about what this team struggled with in particular which is just that connecting play breaking out with control um you know short area passes two exit the zone to facilitate the uh, exiting of the zone connecting play effectively um you know he helped there he helped there and jack rathbone's speed and feet could help there a ton uh if you'll if you line it up to in a world where you've got you know, Hughes, Dermott, and Rathbone on a, on a different pair, does that give this team more of the sort of jets, the push you need from the from the back end to break out consistently in this league? You know, I, I could see that being something they might try to. So there are definitely some options. Uh, Tucker Pullman's health will loom large within this too. That creates different options for the club. Um, and that And there still seems to be some uncertainty around that, as there always is when a player returns from you know, multiple uh, head injuries. So it's uh, it's just one where I think we're going to have to wait and see a bit. And I am pretty, you know, I, I remain lower, I, I think, than a lot of people in this market in terms of my analysis of this team. And the, the reason, like, it just keeps coming back to, you know, I say these names and I, I think about these different formations and different ways you could line up and would that work and will that work? And I just can't find an answer that makes me 
feel confident in projecting this club to be an average group from the back end. Like I just can't get there. And that's sort of one of the big reasons I remain skeptical about this team's overall ceiling. Even as I look, you know, up and down the lineup and think, man, great goalie, lots of talent. Like this should be a playoff team. Yeah. Uh, considering the competition in the West, I just, I don't know. I just don't know if there's enough on the back end for them to get there. Well, it's funny. We were, we were um, talking about NHL.com came out with the ranking of the top 20 centers in the NHL. And, and, and listen, you, you might uh, have an issue with who they included or where they, they were, but the fact is the Canucks had two centers on this list in Pedersen and JT Miller. They've also got another pretty good center in, in Bo Horvat down the middle. The Canucks have one of the best groups in the NHL according to NHL.com. Like the other teams that had two guys on the list were, well, Edmonton obviously with Dreisaitl yep. and McDavid, but Colorado, if you count Kadri, who was on the list as an unrestricted free agent, and McKinnon, Tampa Bay with uh, Stamkos and Braden Point. I don't know if Sorelli was on the list. I don't, I don't think he was. But my point is, is like, listen, there's 32 teams. We're talking about top 20, and the Canucks have two of them, plus they have a really good goalie. It's understandable, I think, how people from outside the market, and we see this often, look at the Canucks and they're like, that team should be good. And maybe they, they, I mean, I think they should make the playoffs this year. Squeak in. I think looking at them right now, especially if they keep JT Miller, they they should, to me, make the playoffs. And if they don't, it's just like the whole group needs to be reconsidered then. Yeah, it's, I mean, here's the, here's the sort of other big question for me going into the year, like something I've been thinking about a lot and trying to figure out, like, I think the way that this club has, sorry, there's some construction in the background. Uh, The way that this club has been built, the club is effectively giving this group another shot. Like this, this, this group that we've seen the last three years, right? And and we saw them win in the bubble, albeit with a pretty different sort of veteran look, right? In terms of both the back end uh, goalie and, and, of course, you know, one top six center. But since then, this group's now had sort of three, two kicks at the can since, and we haven't liked it nearly as much as what we saw in the bubble. But they're, they're going to get another shot. They're going to get another shot here, and they're going to get a shot, shot with another or like with a new supporting cast and up front anyway, uh, certainly looks to be the most balanced and deepest and, and highest sort of upside. Although there's some volatility in my view, when, when you're leaning on guys like Pod Colson and Kuzmenko and Hoaglander, uh, you know, th- there's some question marks up there, but if, you know, one or two of those guys hit, this club should be really cooking with gas. And, and I feel like that puts a little bit of, you know, I don't want to say pressure, but, it, it certainly does put the onus on this team's best players to do what they did in the second half of last season and kind of carry this team. Um, the question that I have in doing that is, you know, we know how much skill there is on this roster. And yet do the core sort of competencies or skills or attributes of Vancouver's best players of this young core group, um, do they, are they conducive, like, are those skills in combination conducive to actually winning? Actually winning games, right? Because we know they can score. We know they can, you know, we know Demko can stop pucks. Like, we know that there's good players here. 
but can the combination of them actually win games? Is there yes. enough? Is there enough two-way two talent? Spine? Yeah, is there enough? Yeah. And, and that remains to me to be seen. Like, can they consistently outwork teams? Can they, you know, figure out an identity, carve it out, and maintain it? Like, like can they, you know, win on those nights where they don't feel well, um, where, where you're tired? Man, Pe- Pedersen to me, Drance, Pedersen to yeah. me is the story of training camp and preseason. And I realize a lot of the focus will be on JT Miller, and I, and I get all that. But how Pedersen looks at training camp and in the preseason will be probably what I'm watching number one for. Yeah, and I think that's fair, right? Like, there needs to be, you know, and, and here's, the, here's the other one, right? Like, Pedersen, we're now going into what, year five, year six? Um, and it's cer- certainly been six years since he was drafted, I guess five years. In the, in, this is going to be his fifth year in the league. And as good as he is, as much as he scores, as much defensive talent as we've seen him show, right? Like once he began to get chances on that, the penalty kill, playing that sort of disruptive uh, role, I mean, he was great, right? Once he started playing late in games when the net was empty, he anticipates plays all the time, intercepts passes, ends the game. Um, I mean, there's a ruthlessness to him when he's at his best that I don't know that we've seen a lot since the 2019-20 season. But if he can bring that, you know, that, that'll be crucial to this team. And yet, and yet, you know, every year it feels like the Canucks ultimately end up leaning on someone else, whether it's Bo Horvat or, or JT Miller last year, to be sort of the number one matchup guy, like the guy who's going up against the opposition's best on a night-to-night basis and leading the team in five-on-five ice time, right? Like at some yeah. point, if this team's ever going to hit their ceiling, that needs to be Pedersen. Absolutely. Like that That's what number Pedersen. one centers are. That's what elite centers are. They're guys you put them yeah. out there and you don't care who who's uh, who's against them, really. I mean, sometimes you'll try and get matchups, but m- most of the time you're just like, this guy is good. He's a good two-way center. Uh, he'll be fine and he'll probably win his battle. Unless Pedersen can do that on a nightly basis, the Canucks, I don't, I don't know if they have one of those. No, well, and if you don't have one of those, right, then – you know, you you might have two top twenty centermen from an offensive standpoint, but at yes. at some point you're going to bump into teams that have the guy that can, you know, the guy that eats lunches, like the guy that steals money, like that guy. Um, and and there's teams in this division that have multiple ones of them, right? I mean, you mentioned Edmonton, but you think about L.A. with Deneau and and Kopitar, right? Like that's a team that Vancouver's chasing following last year, right? That that's a team that has. Uh, you know, a lot of very interesting bets themselves that if they pay off, they'll be pretty imposing. Um, you know, one, one thing I know, one thing I do think is one of the biggest stories for the Canucks over the last couple of weeks was the Robin Leonard injury news, right? Because, I mean, I thought Vegas was for sure going to bounce back, and I still think there's a really good chance of it. Um, but losing Leonard for the full season to me opens up a. a bit of an opportunity for for these other teams in the Pacific. Um, there, there's a chance anyway that Vegas could not be the juggernaut with, without, you know, they're, they're going to need average goaltending now from what, like Hutchinson and Thompson, right? Like, not, you're not feeling like, okay, they're fine. They're, they're, there's a level of uncertainty now for Vegas in that. That to me was like a big piece of news. But yeah, I mean, I just think if, if Pedersen if Pedersen can't be that guy, if Pedersen can't be, you know, that level of player, that level of top line center for the Canucks, then the problems that this club has extend beyond can they make the playoffs this year. 
right? Like that's the other sort of point of concern that I, that I wonder, that I wonder if the club has positioned itself to get answered in, in a meaningful way uh, this season, right? Like after this season, I think we're going to know an awful lot more about the core and for a new management group trying to figure out what decision to go in, right? Um, maybe it was worth getting that longer look. Maybe it was worth giving, you know, the people in this club, the, the, this team, sort of an opportunity with, you know, no excuses and, and more stability uh, both behind the bench and in management to, you know, to show what they can do to prove it, to prove it before the club sort of figures out exactly how to double down on, you know, what they've got here currently. Drancer, we're, we're running late, but we always appreciate it, man. Thanks for chatting with us, and uh, we'll talk soon, buddy. Cheers, boys. Bye. That is Thomas Drance, of course, covers the team at The Athletic, and also you hear him here on Sportsnet 650 on Canucks Hour during the season, uh, co-hosting with myself. What we learned is coming up next, so get your submissions in. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. What did we learn in the last 24 hours of sports? We'll uh, do some of our submissions and get to yours as well. What's coming up next, it's Halford and Bruff, Sportsnet 650. What is going on? Final segment of Halford and Bruff here on a Tuesday morning. I'm Jamie Dodd filling in for Mike Halford. The official automotive sponsor of Halford and Bruff is the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. And Hour 3 is brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. Visit campbell-pound.com. Today it is time... For what we learned, so get your submissions in, uh, hashtag WWL 650-650 to the Dunbar Lumber text line. I'll start. I've got a, a golf-related what we learned. Uh, Tiger Woods and the top PGA golfers are having a players-only meeting today to discuss what to do about the Live Golf Series and some of the concerns around the, uh, the competitor to the PGA. And, I mean... This story is really interesting for a number of reasons. It also just caught my eye. I don't know if I've ever heard of a players-only meeting in golf before. Yeah. Like the, the tour has been struggling a little yeah, bit. The we, tour, got, we got a players-only meeting. The here. tour is one and eight in their last nine, so they're, they're having a players-only meeting to really hash things out here. But it's set to go down today. Tiger Woods is going to be in attendance, so obviously he brings a lot of weight to the situation. And according to uh, longtime golf reporter Alan Shipnuck on Twitter – uh, he says, supposedly, everything is on the table, including major championship boycotts, which That'll I guess would never be, happen. I, I would be shocked. Never happen. Shocked that guys are going to yeah. take away an opportunity from themselves. I finally got the into majors. the Masters. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's not, I, 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 I don't, I don't see that happening. I, I really do wonder what they're, I, what this is going to accomplish uh, maybe they're going to have conversations about the leadership of the PGA Tour. Yep. Because I know a lot of people think that the commissioner took this too lightly. In hindsight, it sure looks like he did. Mm -hmm. uh, and then all of a sudden, they're losing all these guys, and uh, the tour is, has been weakened. Um, 
some people would argue significantly. Other people would say a little bit. But if they lose uh, Cameron Smith, who's one of the best young golfers in the world to live golf, that's a huge blow. Because he's, I know he's not American, he's Australian, but he's a marketable player. Yep. Like he's got, like I mean, look the way he looks, where he wears his hair. Like he's marketable. He seems, he seems likable, right? And, and and if he goes over to uh, live golf, then you're not just losing the like there there there's there's a collection of players that have gone to live golf, and you can kind of say, well, Mickelson, he's old anyway. And, and the same with, you know, like Lee Westwood and Ian Poulter. Those guys are – their best days are behind them. Or, um, you know, Patrick Reed, nobody liked that guy anyway, right? Or Kevin Na. Um, or there were some guys that were struggling, right? Yeah. And they're kind of like, well, they went over there because they couldn't make the cut enough on the PGA Tour. So they just went there for the money because they realized that they probably should. It's a good financial decision. If you start losing guys, I mean, Cameron Smith just won the Open, right? And if he goes, and his story right now, by the way, is very interesting because he's pulled out of the uh, BMW Championship and he's got a chance to win the FedEx Cup and he's pulled out with um, what he says is some on and off hip discomfort he's been dealing with for several months and thought it best to rest this week in his pursuit of the FedEx Cup. Okay, Fine. If that were just a one-off, but it's not just a one-off. And people are wondering, is he upset at the PGA Tour for uh, giving him a two-stroke penalty for a, a drop that that wasn't technically correct? Maybe. Uh, or is he just preparing to leave the Tour? Who knows? Lots going on with the Tour this week, and, 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 and you're what we learned is a good one because – what I'm wondering is what comes out well, of this meeting. Like, what, what can they possibly that's do? The thing. What are their options? Is it like a rallying cry? Like, yeah. okay, guys, no more leaving. No. Not, we're all, we're all going to sign this pledge right now in front of Tiger Woods. Yeah, Tiger. You're not going to leave, and if you do, Tiger will yell gonna, at you. Yeah, you're going to yell at you. Like, what can they possibly? He's not going to answer your texts anymore. Yeah, that's the thing. What are what are their options? I guess the only, one of the main ones would be agitating and lobbying the PGA to, I don't know, do different things to make it more attractive to players. And I don't know what those different things would be, but whatever, if, if there's concerns that the players have, hey, because I, I don't, you know, as you said, the boycott thing's not going to happen. So basically you're left with, you have to make the PGA a more attractive alternative than the money that Liv is offering. And I, I don't know what the players would want to do to accomplish that, but that seems like realistically their only option they have right now. Uh, give us a mooc on that. What do we got, uh, Laddie? Do you do you have a what we learned? Yeah, I have a what we learned. Uh, what we learned: the great one, Wayne Gretzky, could be soon ten million dollars lighter in the pocketbook as a new lawsuit has been filed, according to TMZ. I saw this. The owner of OMG Gum <laughs> claiming that uh, he ruined the stock of his company. Wayne Gretzky did uh, <laughs> allegedly, according to this lawsuit, that uh, Gretzky had wild claims about dropping 35 pounds in two months using the gum. His wife, Janet, was an investor in the company. Mm -hmm. And this owner claims that it tanked the stock of the company. And obviously, when people realized it wasn't true, uh, his company failed. And he's suing for $10 million. This was a public company? (laughs) The claim... Where did it trade? Who knows? (laughs) The claim is that Gretzky did too good a job hyping the product, Mm -hmm. that people were disappointed when they got it. Correct. And also disappointed because I think he walked his claims back. 
I see. The Y'all product said this gum would make me lose weight. Yeah. The if product... anything, he's gaining weight. It says in the in the release, the product faltered when the apparent falsehood was realized. Right, that he didn't actually lose all that weight. Does Chewing he need gum. to lose 35 pounds? So that's like I... if... Um... <laughs> when was this? If I came on the air... And was like, uh, I, uh, you know, I got superpowers by drinking Bud Light. And then people discovered that it wasn't true. And Bud Light's like, hey, you gave people a false impression about our beer. Like, but well, if it I caused, said something nice about if, it. If it caused Bud's stock to collapse to the point where the company folded, I think maybe they would. Then Do you know what? Beer. I have a feeling that this stock wasn't on the up and up. What gives you the idea? <laughs> Did this trade on the old Vancouver Exchange? <laughs> like that? Uh, okay. The legendary so, Vancouver Exchange. You know what? Exchange. I'm not too worried about Wayne. How no, did one even I think, he, I, th- I think he's going to be able to have an appropriate defense. I think this is probably good this. news for uh, Wayne's lawyers. They'll get some nice fees out of this, and then it'll go away. I don't we, think. I don't think this one's going to stick. We need to cover this, though. I want to know the the theory. Like, what's the science behind yeah. it? Like, How do you chew, lose weight chewing gum? Do you lose it all in your jaw? Yeah. <laughs> Does OMG Gum have a, a somebody we can have on to, to really get into this? Maybe we can do a panel, a roundtable. Someone from Gretzky's Let's camp. Gretz someone on. from the, OMG's. The, the gum has Adderall in it. <laughs> Ingredient. Yeah, reach out to Gretzky. Say, we don't want to talk about your playing career. We know you're sick and tired of that. We want to hear about OMG gum. How did you lose weight, Wayne, on OMG yeah, gum? Yeah, we, we were like, we've all fallen for it. Like, where can we get some of this gum? That sounds amazing. <laughs> you miss 100% of gum you don't chew. That's like their slogan. That's terrible. Oh, boy. Yeah, Gretzky's, oh, Gretzky's, boy. Already, Gretzky's already skinny, so like 35 pounds. He's going to be looking pretty gaunt at that point. Do you have a what we learned, or are you going to end on that pretty... Uh, yeah, I got a good one. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah, try and make up for it. Well, don't no, hype it up too much. I don't know if I'll make up for it, but uh, Vegas Golden Knights, uh, they're doing this bust of Bruce Cassidy. They're going to be giving it. away a miniature gold statue <laughs> of uh, Coach Bruce Cassidy <laughs> at their September 26th game versus LA. So everyone that attends gets a little gold bust of Bruce Cassidy. For it looks some, like JFK. Some, it looks like JFK. <laughs> not, is this the new bobblehead? Not yeah. a bobblehead. It's this just is, a little bust of Bruce Cassidy. This is like a cry for help from the Vegas Golden Knights, a franchise that has lost their way. Okay, so uh, I was actually going to ask you this when Drance mentioned it, but we, we ran out of time. We had to go to the new segment. I was obviously away when the news about Robin Lehner came out that he was going to miss the season. What was the reaction to that, and what do people think Vegas are going to do about this? The rea- Have they done anything? I don't think they've done anything. I, I think they're in a pretty tough situation. Well, not necessarily because of the salary cap, because now with Laner, you can put them on LTIR and you open up a bunch of cap space, but just the availability of goalies and who's realistically out there is not all of that all that appetizing. And so... I think there is some expectation that they might just go with the internal options mm-hmm. that they have. But the reaction here, I think, was pretty excited, to be honest. Not that yeah. you ever want a player to be injured, but as Drant said, this opens a door, right, from a team that you thought was kind of locked into one of those top three spots in the Pacific to all of a sudden there's a lot more uncertainty around who, the team. Who, who are their goalies well, right We now? had Jesse Granger on, okay. and, and he kind of broke it down. But they're very high on Logan Thompson, who's going to be okay. their starter. Yeah. Uh, Laurent Brossois is still there. Mm-hmm. I checked in with his camp, and he's not skating yet. He's coming back from hip surgery, but he's ahead of schedule, and he might actually be on time for the start of the season. So if Laurent Brossois is available, that might change their plans a little bit. The backup option, if Brossois is not available as of now, is Michael Hutchinson. So not a lot out there right now for the Vegas Golden Knights. Hey, oh. if, it, if it works for the Leafs. Oh, got, oh, wait. I got another what we learned as well. This this caught my eye from yesterday or ear from yesterday, and I never brought it up, but I wanted to. I've completely forgotten about it. Bruff pronounces it issue 
not issue. When? You said yesterday, issue. You said it a couple times. Yeah. And oh. every time I hear it, I just sort of pause. Let me, let me just do it. Well, the main issue I've got with there you. There you go. That's the correct That's yes. the correct way? I, th- I thought I always said that. No, Maybe said, it was just a one-off. You're saying issue. The issue there at hand. It's like a British way of saying it. I didn't, know, I didn't notice it. Right. Got to say, it didn't pick up on that one. It just bothered me so much. It just sat with me for the rest of the day, and I was thinking about it last night. I didn't you know what? Of, you can reach out to me. I didn't get a lot of sleep. These, <laughs> if, 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 if that's keeping you up at night, <laughs> yeah, just feel free to text me. back and forth. And, and, and issue. We, issue. We can talk it out, Andy. We can talk <laughs> it out. Issue. Grab a tissue. My DMs are open for you. <laughs> uh, let's go into, let's give us give that that issue a moo cow. Um, there we go. Got a few flagged here Just um stars in vancouver what we learned canucks first round pick picked up two power play assists after being called out a bit yesterday uh i did not watch uh Lekaramaki play um but it's good that he's yep. picking up points honestly my expectations for him at this tournament aren't sky high and i'm not going to hold him to a super high he, he is not Connor Bedard. He is not, um, he's not a top five type pick. Um, he is, um, a solid first rounder who is a young player on a Swedish team that has depth, right? You just don't expect that type of player to star, to dominate at this type of tournament next year. Next year is the year to watch him. I think the biggest takeaway from his game yesterday, it's not the fact that he picked up the two points, which, you know, secondary assists, not taking anything away from them. But again, there weren't kind of highlight real plays or anything, but just the fact that he's getting power play time, right? That's significant, as you said, for a, a young player on a really talented Swedish team. So even beyond the two points, just good to see him getting for those sure. opportunities. I uh, wanted to read this one. What we learned, what I've learned is that I still haven't learned the name of Jason's co-host. He's almost as irrelevant as the Blue Jays were before 2015. Go M's go. That's from Rob in Langley, <laughs> a.k.a. Rob in Surrey. He can be a bit of a jerk. The only reason I wanted to read that one yeah. is, first of all, there's this whole, mostly from M's fan, this idea that there's just like massive rivalry between Blue Jays fans and Mariners mm-hmm. fans, which I've never, like, I have nothing against the Mariners. But one of the talking points seems to be that all Jays fans got on the bandwagon in 2015. Quite a few did. Sure. Yeah. They've also won World Series, like, in living memory. Like, I'm not that old. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I think there was a, a definite younger element that sure. got on the bandwagon, and you saw a lot more uh, Blue Jays gear around the city. Like, I've been a Seahawks fan a long time Dating back, not the, the entire time, but you know when I started first liking the Seahawks, their quarterback was Dave Craig, right? Like it, I remember, <laughs> I remember watching Steve Largent. There were way more Seahawks fans in this city when they became yeah. good, which is how sports works. Like I, I think one thing that I and I've said this before: the people that get upset with the bandwagon need to get over it because that's what happens. Right, and I get it that it's frustrating sometimes if you have to share a ballpark or an arena, or you're at a bar and you're talking, or you overhear someone, and you're like, "That's a new fan, right? That 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 guy doesn't get it, or that girl doesn't get it. That's a new fan. I get it, but it just means the team's doing well. There's a lot of bandwagon Canucks fans here when they got and and they've gone away, huge, right? Like, 
I missed the bandwagon. You know what happens when you've got a bandwagon? You're playing big games because people just want to be part of big games, right? That's it's just part of why we root for sports. And a lot of the, a lot of cases is just to to make us feel like we want to be part of something fun. Tougher Mariners we, fans to fathom in their defense. There was that <laughs> Mariners bandwagon though for like seven years. There was like you know, like the with, Soto Mojo, yeah, and all that. Like, it and was it absolutely. was it was wild. It it didn't last very long. But there was a massive Mariners bandwagon, and it did get up to Vancouver. Like the, the, it, people won't remember because it it was now quite a long time ago. It was, it was two decades ago, really. A lot of that stuff happened. That's just how sports works. Mm-hmm. Yes, people like cheering for good teams. People <laughs> like watching big games and and they like games. to be part of when a stadium sold out or when it's when it's hard to get a ticket. You know, like that's you know cool. Whether, whether or not you think that's. Uh, a, a positive about humanity or a negative? It is. <laughs> it is a truism. I just wish you could be a Mariners fan without having the the innate Jays hate built in. Like I just, especially yeah, the ones wh- from Vancouver. But why? Yeah, but why? Well, don't, don't you want a rivalry? Yeah. Like, don't you want? Like, would you want Red Sox and Yankees fans to get along? No, you wouldn't, right? Like that's. But like the Mariners don't have much. They're looking for anything. They want a rival. Right, and it must be annoying to them. Expansion rivals. When a bunch of drunken Canadians come down and 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 take over their stadium once, uh, you know, uh, every July or August, right? Like it is, it's probably frustrating for them. What do you expect them to do? Sit there and go like, "Hey guys, welcome to the stadium." I thought, would you like me to show you around? We don't have a very good team here I mean, in be Seattle, nice. but we're yeah. See, like you're unrealistic with your uh, expectations. I mean. I've had some good experiences with Mariners fans going down to see the Jays, but I don't know. I get I get what you're saying. It's just like the Red Sox Yankees, that's a real rivalry. No, I know. You know yeah. what I mean? This was like I don't know. It's, it's a fan rivalry yeah, more than I anything guess. else. Yeah. But it's not as if the team's like, oh, we gotta go in and beat the Mariners. Man, we just have not had enough rivalries in this city period for a long time. No. And I mean, even the everyone was hoping, right, the Kraken would develop into Nothing. a big rival. You're not, Zero. you're not excited about the Canucks Kraken rivalry. Well, not only not only did the, were the had, yeah, were the Kraken terrible, the Kraken were awful, and the Canucks had so much going on just with their own situation. But then the most heartwarming moment of the NHL season happens between the two franchises. It's like, well, that's going to kill any hatred that was uh, starting to build early in the uh, potential rivalry. I right forgot there. about that. <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, it's hard to have a rivalry after that. Like. What are your fans saved our our guy's life? Yeah. <laughs> that's that's tough. Yeah, it's like too too much niceness. It's way too I nice. Mean, Thank you. That now was a good thing, I suppose. <laughs> uh, have you got any more here? Yeah. Uh, where was the one? Oh, I, I got here. Adam, the former bath guy. What we learned? I learned that two Ricks on a Tuesday morning are better than one. Yeah, we had a two Rick show today. Rick Dollywell and the head coach of the BC Lions, Rick Campbell. Um, if you didn't hear the entire show, you can download the podcast. One of them's That's a right. huge Elvis fan. Guess which one? Yeah, it's Rick Campbell. I mean, it wouldn't shock me if Rick <laughs> about, Campbell liked I, Elvis as well. I, I think about, Rick Campbell named more Elvis. I was hoping Dollywall would do an Elvis impersonation, but we just never got quite got there. How, how about that conversation when I asked Rick? Uh, no, you asked Rick. What's yeah. your favorite Elvis What's your song? favorite Elvis song? <laughs> and he's like, oh, do you have an hour? I'm like, just one song, Rick. <laughs> he's like, I, I like the That's... one, I like the one with the flame. And then he did a Jailhouse Rock. No. That was his one song that I like the one with the guitar. You know what's funny about Elvis? Like, I I got into the Beatles. I got into the Rolling Stones. I have never in my life been into Elvis. Ever. Like, I, I think I've listened to a bit of his 
gospel stuff, which I, I quite enjoy, but I just... You weren't an Elvis it household was, growing up? Ne- no, n- not at all. Were you guys, did you guys have parents that no. were into Elvis or anything? Like, I, I'm a big fan of the Elvis, Elvis Christmas album. My grandma was really into Elvis. Really? My parents, not so much. I think it might be a generation thing. Or maybe it's just because he was a showman, and now that he's not living, it's... Yeah, I don't dislike his music, but I've never gone through like an Elvis phase or anything where I'm like, like, as you said, like the Stones and the Beatles, I've listened to that music a lot and sought Mm -hmm. it out. I've never done that with Elvis the same way. Yeah, I guess I've just never gotten the Elvis thing. And and I was hoping this movie um, would be a bit better reviewed. Like it's gotten okay reviews. Yeah, the Boz Lerman one. And and I thought it would be, and when I I first saw the trailer, I was like, oh, that looks good. Maybe this is an opportunity for me to learn about it. And and I'm still probably going to watch the movie when it comes out on streaming or whatever, but I I don't know. Anyway. Just go see Top Gun for the 19th time. Or just talk to Rick Dollywall. I'll give you the full rundown of Elvis's career. Do you think Rick, do you think Rick has like an Elvis getup? <laughs> His house is Elvis's. What, what's Elvis's house? What's it called? Uh, Graceland. Graceland. Yeah. So Rick's, yeah. Rick's house is done up like Graceland. That's just how I predicted. It. I wonder if he has an Elvis impression. That's what I wanted to know. I was yeah. hoping Rick would sing for us. Does, does Rick? Can I, I? I would pay money for Rick to do an impression show. Yes. Like do your impression. Uh, it all sounds like Don Cherry. <laughs> all sounds like Don Cherry, Rick. Or Rick Dollywall. Yeah. <laughs> it's good Canadian kid. All right. That's going to do it for us today. Back tomorrow with another edition of Halford and Bruff. Uh, thanks for listening. Go check out the podcast as well. It's the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.